0: Hello and welcome back to Future Prairie Radio, where marginalized artists explore the future through the lens of the arts, humanities, and culture. I'm your host, Joni Whitworth. This is Season 6, Episode 6, Monstrous Feminine, with Wendy Noonan. Wendy is a writer working on an oracle deck inspired by elemental witch magic and the ancient technology of tarot. When it's complete her deck will consist of 45 feminine and genderqueer demons witches creatures vampires and hybrids from myth legend literature and history the deck will come with a little book that provides a history lesson and a feminist interpretation as well as a micro meditation for each card her collaborator on this the illustrator kirsten valerie is currently researching and drawing and designing this whole project in a super lush hybrid digital analog style. Really beautiful. They're hoping to release the deck by 2023 and they have quite a vision and a process. And afterward, I hope you get a chance to look up some of this stunning imagery. Here's Wendy and Kirsten.
1: My name is Wendy Noonan. I'm a writer and a teacher in Portland. And I was born in the middle of nowhere in Alaska. Found my way to Portland in my mid-twenties and I've been here ever since. My name is Kirsten Valerie. I'm 23
2: and I am an illustrator. And I grew up in Silverton, Oregon, out on the prairie, like Little House on the Prairie style and then slowly, over 23 years, have clawed my way up into the heart of Portland.
1: Okay, so the monstrous feminine is a paradigm in academia and popular culture. It's been around for a while. Kristen actually was a student of mine, and I was teaching Gothic literature, and after Kirsten graduated, she asked me if I wanted to do the deck, and I was completely stunned with the brilliance of the idea. And the reason why I knew so much about the Monstrous Feminine because Kirsten remembered me like during lectures, sometimes she said I would go off on this niche subject about history and folklore and psychoanalysis and linguistics and how Monstrous Feminine images operate in culture and in film. So I know about this because I'm a bereaved mother and I was gravitating towards monsters after I lost my son. It's interesting because like in culture you hear lots of stories about mothers and humans and people, you know, heroes, um, adventurers, but the story of the bereaved mom pretty much doesn't have a narrative unless she's like Medea or La And it seems like these stories of mothers who kill their children stick around in the ear of popular culture, more so than mothers who just lose their children. I mean, and, and I'm, I'm speaking of the West because I don't know as many stories of the East, but um, even like Job's wife lost all of her children in the Bible, and she has no name. And so I was sort of just kind of reading my way through the tragedy and the grief <laughs> And I was looking for myself and I found it in this book by Barbara Creed called The Monsters Feminine, which is a book of criticism about how monstrous images in film operate in the West as cathartic symbols for people because essentially like society as a patriarchy can't contain the full expression of feminine experience. And so we have these monsters. And yeah, I started to write my story then, writing through the lens of particular monsters.
2: So, kind of on this topic, initially when I started this project, I knew when I got out of college that I needed something. I came to Wendy and I told her, I need something that's going to keep me consistently making. If I don't, I'm going to just fall off if I don't have a routine because now I'm in limbo and 20. <laughs> At the time, I think in my head, it was like, oh, I just want to draw monsters. I like gothic stuff. I like creepy stuff. And the more that I thought about it today, especially, but in As we've been working on this project, what my hope is that we're showing people themselves either in a new light, or making them feel accepted, or making someone feel seen. I mean, so much of the deck revolves around things that are coded as culturally taboo or socially taboo. But when, especially because I'm the artist, when I get to do the rendering for them, I just it's lush. Like I love digging into the beauty of what people might not think is beautiful or, but should, you know, the werewolf card is a great example. The transformation process, the, the splitting and regrowing and changing at a like fast rate is so incredible. We're working on that card right now.
1: So we decided to make a deck that is multicultural We've illustrated seven cards, and there are several layers to the research process, but it begins first, as you might typically imagine, you know, in books, in academic journals, reading what people have to say about the monsters that we're choosing to write about. And there's a lot more research that goes into the monsters that aren't Western. Like, so obviously we know tons about Medea and Medusa and the harpies. But then when you get into some monsters that are not a part of our sort of popular discourse, it takes more reading and conversation. But so that's where the research begins. And then we've also been reaching out to people who have direct experience with the identities of these monsters. Classically, a monster is a boundary. This is human, this is not. You have monsters that look different. They're monstrous. Monsters that behave the way that we're not supposed to behave. They're monsters. And this is particularly trenchant with gendered monsters. So monsters that are feminine tend to be more terrifying and memorable and abject like socially intolerable than like you can have cyclops and king kong frankenstein's a monster they tend to be sympathetic feminine monsters are less often sympathetic and then you also have monsters that are gender non-conforming that are also rather terrifying or old and a lot of the feminine monsters like the evil queen or if you think about the sea hag and the little mermaid ursula like she does not seem like Typical feminine, matronly woman type, right? The more we think about it and talk about it and write about it, it seems like it gets more narrow and narrow what is an appropriate feminine identity in the West, right? Like she's a mother, she's a wife, she's maternal, she looks a certain way, she's not ambitious, she doesn't have a lot of self-preservation, she's more sacrificial, and she's feminine, right? She doesn't act quote unquote, manly, right? So we, we've been checking in with people whose identities sort of might correlate with the monsters. So for example, we did the werewolf card. And the werewolf is commonly coded as a trans-masculine monster. By coded, I mean like you have these monsters, but behind the monsters are these like cultural identities that we might associate with them without even knowing that we're associating that. And so the werewolf, is a human by day, but that at some point they go through a transformation. He sprouts hair in strange places. Um, he goes off into the woods and does stuff that is scary to us. He infects others with his monstrosity. So actually I'm talking more about how monsters are codes, cultural codes for identities that fall outside of what is appropriate socially. In the introduction to the deck, we say that the deck is an opportunity to give history's bad girls a chance to speak. And so, I mean, that's something that we're both committed to. We don't don't use the monsters to moralize to anyone the way that the monsters were originally intended in a way like, you know, don't be like the harpies. Don't be a a woman who eats a lot and is too loud and steals food from men. Don't, for God's sake, don't get raped in the temple because you're going to then have snakes for hair and turn men into stones. So we were looking at the subtext of the cards and finding the qualities of the monsters that were meant to be repressed and embracing them. And what's really great is that I will do like the work of the research and write the card and and Kirsten and I will talk and then she'll come in and add qualities to the image. Mm -hmm. So the fairy tale dragon is about the princess's libido. Mm -hmm. So the dragon in a lot of the tales is protecting her sacred virginity, but we sort of turned it around and said, no, like this is actually her libido that's kind of out of control because she's been forced into virginity and she's being sold and, you know, like, and Kristen made her voluptuous and the harpy card, I wrote her in a certain way and the harpy is now for sure she's non-binary right? They're non-binary. And so Kristen's adding things to the images that I hadn't even addressed in the card. Image making is
2: really powerful. And as an image maker, it makes a difference. Like if you're always drawing one type of person over and over, I don't, I'm not immune to that. I fall into that all the time. But one of the biggest things that I took away from art school was that I just want people to see themselves I don't want people to look at the artwork, especially in this deck. I don't want people to look at the artwork and have to make leaps and bounds to put themselves in the shoes of the person on the card. Not everyone's going to see themselves in every card, but it's important to me that you can find some part of yourself in one card at least. The thing that makes me proudest to work on this deck is the fact that it gives me an opportunity to show lots and lots and lots of people, old, young, black, white. Mm any race, any gender, uh, any sort of non-conforming identity. It's it's a great opportunity to just show people.
1: In media, in the narratives and stories are the things that culture uses to put out a dominant text about how the world is supposed to be, who we're supposed to look up to, what we're supposed to aspire to be, what we're supposed to not aspire to be. And what this deck contributes, which I think that it's not it's not standing alone. There are a lot of sort of re rethinking and twerking of the monster narratives in popular culture right now. But what this deck is doing is it's it's giving a feminist and a genderqueer reinterpretation of stories that were told from the perspective of misogyny and homophobia and fear of trans bodies, women's bodies, different bodies of all kinds. I mean, in the West, we're a culture that likes to other. We always have been. In different cultures, there are already multiple genders, like in some indigenous cultures in South America and in North America, there's more than two genders. In a lot of places in the East and in India, the way that, you know, that people with neurodiversities or different differently abled bodies are treated, they're still part of the community. They're not pathologized, you know? So I suppose it's like hoping to help to shift the way the West sees humanity because it's like our beauty is in our divergence. It's not the problematic piece. It's how we're stronger. If all the perspectives are shared, we're always stronger. It's tragic that for so often, one or two identities held the mic.
2: I was lucky enough to be raised by a queer community, like a very dense queer community. Half of the thing about this deck is just giving back to that. Portland especially has that reputation for being fairly openly queer. and I don't think either of us are ignorant enough to think that Like our experience is the only experience, not everybody in Portland gets to be as openly queer or different or themselves as they wanna be. And part of this deck feels kind of like a love letter to that, Mm -hmm. telling people that the things about yourself that you're nervous about or the things that you have kept closeted away, Mm -hmm. we wanna see those things. Doesn't matter what you look like, who you are, where you come from. This deck is like a small, at least in my mind, like a a way to affect change even within the direct community. Whoever gets to access it, I'm hoping it opens up a conversation for themselves between either themselves and like a part of them they weren't ready to talk to or are now ready to talk to or makes people who maybe aren't self-reflecting reflect a little more.
1: I grew up in a really rural place in Alaska and I was raised by conservative Christians And I was not a typical uh, girl because I didn't feel like a girl oftentimes. Um, I didn't want to do girl things. I identified frequently with boys and in, in television and movies I identified with boys. I didn't understand that I was gender fluid and that I wasn't straight and I also didn't feel any support in my environment for that, those identities. Um, So I hid them for years. So when I think about Portland helping us to make this deck because we are sort of culturally and um, idealistically incredibly progressive and open, it does feel like the appropriate birthing ground for the Monstrous Feminine Oracle deck. We can preach that we
2: are a liberal haven and accepting and whatnot but it has to go further than that there has to be some sort of action behind that and so this is on a small scale this project feels like our way of saying like thank you Portland for me at least it's thank you Portland for raising me to think that it's beautiful to be weird and not conform and be oneself I feel really lucky do have been raised in Portland or around Portland. You know, like I said, I grew up on the prairie, but Portland has kind of a inherent, weird, proud queerness that seeps out into the rest of the surrounding area. And as I like got closer and closer to Portland, the more I was like super proud to be from here because there's such a pride in being different and unique. But at the same time, I'm not ignorant enough to think that everybody gets that opportunity, especially because Portland is very, very white. We should be putting that work towards everybody, not just feeling like one type of person can succeed. And even though this project is like a small project still and like really intimate, but then also having so much connectivity and, access to every little corner of the world it's hard not to think on a huge scale it's hard not to
1: like look at this project and ask what the impact could be when i think about where this deck manifests in five years i imagine that it goes to those places where people aren't aware of a viewpoint that says not only is it okay for a woman to say no to a man but it's right (laughs) It's her birthright. Or, you know, uh, like the Stepford wife. Like, we need to center ourselves on our own identity, not our others or the needs of others. Um, Because even though the United States is liberal in terms of its attitudes about women compared to the rest of the world, or at least we think it is, what we don't realize is there are still places all over this country where people grow up feeling like there are only two gender identities. And if you are the female of those two gender identities, you have a job to do, and it has to do with taking care of other people's bodies while somebody tells you what to do with your body. And right now what's going on in our justice system and in the South, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's terrifying. And people that grow up in those places, maybe won't know that there's a spectrum on the other side that tells them that this isn't right. And this deck will tell them that it isn't right. Well, it's funny in the original intro to the deck, we said we wanna tell the stories of these monsters, some of which are actual women in history, right? So we, we said, we want to tell the stories to change the world, to change the future. But then we were like, that sounds really romantic. <laughs> so we took it out, but we still feel that way. Yeah, we still feel that way.
2: So it always feels kind of, I always get kind of like nervous when we talk about our hopes for the deck because it feels like big dreams. And sometimes I feel like that's, it's romantic, but at the same time, it is about what you want to bring to the world. And if that's like, if you can hope that big, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I have to keep reminding myself that while we work mm-hmm. on this, that's good. that it's okay to hope that big.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You can see pictures of the deck so far and learn more about this project at monstrousfeminineoracle.squarespace.com. This episode was sponsored by Oregon Humanities and the Oregon Community Foundation. Thank you so much for your support. It was written and produced by me, Joni Whitworth and edited by Callie Day. And the music for this episode is by Air Folks. If you have any questions or feedback about the show, send us a note, futureprairie.com on social media at futureprairie.